Well, again, Merry Christmas. So glad that you are here. And uh, just so you understand, we are glad that both you and your kids are here with us. Uh, This is intentionally uh, a family service um, that is a little bit shorter than our norm, uh, God willing. Um, But uh, that being said, tonight we are going to look at a very wonderful text. In fact, we are actually going to look at a single verse uh, of what was uh, read um, in the scripture readings of our time earlier. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And as you turn there, if you have a Bible with you, you've probably seen this verse circulate around social media or even quoted on uh, many front of Christmas cards and, and mugs. But this verse is actually profound. Uh, this text is profound. It's a joyous uh, announcement, but it's actually a joyous and, and profound announcement and statement during a very dark and hopeless time. See, when this was written, the northern kingdom of Israel had turned against her sister to the south, Judah. And Judah was left alone with diminishing hope and anticipation of survival. And so Israel, as a nation, was not in a good place. And so you can imagine the country you then once cherished is now divided and broken and overrun by corrupt leadership. It's exposed to dangerous powers and literally on the brink of collapse. And so you can imagine the best of your leaders crippled by poor character and indecision and unwise uh, alliances. And so there's even this feeling, as I describe the background of this text for the nation of Israel, that the overall longing for this people must have been, is there even hope? Is there even hope? Is there something? Is there someone better than all of this? And really, we know some of us don't have to do much uh, imagining on that. This may sound familiar for many of us. And maybe even, in fact, for you, you feel this sense of brokenness, this sense of hopelessness, and this sense of loss. I mean, some of us may even be here tonight still trying to figure out what is the reason for this season. And so if that is you, I'm glad that you are here tonight. See, for the Christian, tonight is a reminder and a reflection on not only what came, but who came. See, we may find it obvious that Christ is the reason for Christmas, but how do we actually understand this? Do we understand his his birth and his character? And do we know what that means for us tonight? See, in our text, we find an incredible example and a prophecy of a great need spoken in the great promise. Because when the prophet Isaiah spoke the words of this text, the people of Israel had gone through a very dark and difficult time. Not not only were there many battles and much defeat, but because of their sin and rebellion, God allowed the mighty kingdom of Assyria to come against the northern kingdom of Israel and totally devastate it. In fact, the northern kingdom ceased to be a country. And in this, many lost their lives and many lost their homes. But remember, 
even in wrath, God remembers his mercy. Even in wrath, God remembers his mercy. Now, some may find that strange tonight to to make note of because this is a focus on good news. This is a focus on great news. And I promise you, this was no bait and switch to talk about the bad news. But knowing the bad news really helps us understand and grasp the profound reason for good news. And so as we go to this text tonight, as, this, as we go to this verse and we hear from the prophet Isaiah, he speaks with hope about a child, a child that is born into a world without hope. He speaks of a savior who has character and authority that far outweighs the corrupted character and authority of all others. And that he is the true savior, not like those who have been looked to as saviors but failed, but he is the true savior, Jesus Christ. And so tonight, friends, let's look at this verse together. My hope as we look at it, in fact, is that we would see in it that Jesus Christ is the reason for the season, that we would be moved and awed by his mighty and divine character, and that we would come to not only look upon him tonight in the text, but that we would behold him as Lord and Savior. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, The prophet says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, tonight as we look upon this text, I I pray again that we would behold Christ. I pray that whatever we are walking in here with the idea of or with the uh, thought of life, God, I pray that we would place it all upon you because in you we find the greatest life. Lord, in the midst of distractions and knowing what we have after this and what comes tomorrow. God, I pray that you would fix us upon the truth of Jesus Christ. That you would be our focus and not just in this moment, but for the rest of our days. So God, we love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now there's something incredible in these words of God written down by the prophet Isaiah. And in the first part of the first sentence, the prophet tells us not only how, but to whom the Savior is given. See, this is personal, that the child is born to us, and this son is given to us. Now, before we get to that, I would wish to say first, in unpacking that, we have such a backwards and drunken view of ourselves. I mean, it almost seems difficult to look at this rightly and understand it because just considering some of the Christian trends in our culture, we can see that uh, Christmas shopping is one of the biggest uh, holiday focuses 
in our area. I mean, people, in fact, spend over $1 trillion in the United States. So from decorations to, to presents to parties to, to cards, the focus of Christmas is often given over to what makes me feel happy. But see, really, those are not the gifts that have been given to us as a remedy for our deepest need. Really, that stuff is just what distracts us because the toys, the socks, the things that we receive tomorrow morning will be gone or old and we'll wait for new because it doesn't really meet our deepest need. And so this is really why we struggle to look upon ourselves in this time soberly. But really, when we do, when we understand the need we find the greatest and most undeserved gift given to us. See, the intimate structure of these words are beautiful in the text because they show what is promised to us and what is true of our God's redemptive work. In fact, it acknowledges Israel in the text and all those who would later be called children of God. And so this is a prophetic promise that rings all throughout history and time and really should move us who have believed upon Jesus Christ to say, this child is born to us. This son is given to us. See, even as the great reformer Martin Luther once put it, Christ doesn't need these works. He would have remained a Lord quite well without them. But rather, his conception and his birth, his suffering and death, his ascension and sitting at the right hand are all for our benefit. They belong to us. Note that well. See, in making this statement, Luther draws our attention to something important in this text. It is only because of Jesus willingly as a servant that he became like us, that we could even become like him and say in faith, this child is born to us and the son is given to us. And so notice even how we find this further in the text when the prophet Isaiah says, this child is born, this son is given. See, by the child being born, we are shown that he will become like us. He will become like any child we have seen be born in human flesh. And so he became like us, but he is not of us. By Isaiah saying the son being given, we are shown that he is not like us in an incredible way, that he will actually come from God, that he will be given as a gift from the father that he is God in the flesh revealed. And so as he comes, he will set up and he will restore God's people. He will do this both a promise to those in the text and to us today. This is why Isaiah continues then by saying, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. See here in a divided and oppressive land that is defeated, This is a profound point. 
that when corrupt government is putting weight upon the shoulders of God's people and they are suffering under wicked leaders, God reminds the government shall be upon his shoulders. See, this shows how the rule of Christ differs from the kingdoms of the world. That whereas all secular governments lean upon uh, even their subjects to carry out their decrees, and even with with good and, and, and bad authorities, and humans rely upon humans, the Lord is not this way. The government shall be upon his shoulders. That the rule of the Son who is born to us, Jesus Christ, works in fact the other way around. Where the government is upon his shoulders, and he carries us. That we rest upon his shoulders. That he is our bearer. And so do you see in this how Isaiah turns everything around, which is contrary to the customs of our world? And so when we think of a ruler, we think of him in a specific place. And so many may ask, where is Christ's rule? Where is his land, his people? In fact, some may even ask, where is Christ's rule now? And they ask, is it in Jerusalem? Is it Seattle? Is it Cedar Woolley? And the answer is, of course. Because briefly put, it is upon his shoulders. He rules and he reigns. And so understand, friends, only those who are Christians are on his shoulders. See, it is only those who firmly trust him and allow themselves to be carried by him like the lost sheep are. All are under his authority, but to really sum it up, no one is a Christian who does not rest on the shoulder of Christ. See, this is what Isaiah said. And what this means is, I I believe he has paid everything for me, that my sins and my death are upon him And I rest, he carries. And see, God further even gives this reminder later in Isaiah, in the 22nd chapter of the 22nd verse. He says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. See, friends, it's an incredible thing that the saving and sending work is not only placed upon the shoulders of the Savior, Jesus Christ, but it is also forever secured in him. It is forever secured in him. And so Isaiah reminds us of his incredible authority and the way he will rule. And then Isaiah tells us of his character. Now see, most babies have just one name on their birth announcement. And we would probably be confused if we met a child that had been given four distinct names. But see, Isaiah announces the birth of this child with four names. He says in in verse 6, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, one name was not sufficient enough to describe this special child. And also, these names tell us of what the baby will do. And you can imagine how intriguing this would be to read, especially in our day and age. 
I mean, imagine reading a birth announcement where it says excellent guitar player, marathon runner, future CEO of a major corporation. See, birth announcements don't list accomplishments. They don't list these details, and that's because there are none to list. When a child is born today, there are none of these things to list of great names and great accomplishments, uh, probably apart from thumb-sucking and, uh, and filling diapers and drooling. There's not much to list there. But this baby is different. See, this is the Savior of the world. It is God in the flesh come to dwell among us and make a way for us to become forgiven and set free from sin. And so here in the text, Isaiah tells us, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now see, these names briefly, and I mean briefly, I want to look at for a second because in them is beautiful truth. See, in the first one, we find wonderful counselor. The meaning of this title might seem odd for us in the modern sense because a counselor in this to us involves someone sitting and and hearing concerns, counseling along with a little wisdom and insight into the individual But the counselor in this case involves a master of divine wisdom and teaching. In fact, wonderful might even be more accurately translated as miraculous because it typically describes God's mighty works, that he will be a wonderful counselor, truly wise and wonderful, unlike any other human counselor. See, then secondly, in his name, mighty God, He will be God Almighty. He will be God the warrior, the almighty God in the flesh. And so here, Isaiah is giving testimony to the divinity of the Messiah. That he doesn't back down. He doesn't say that the child will be like the almighty God. He says that the child will be called mighty God. And see, the New Testament repeats this well. If you were here when we began our uh, series in the Gospel of John. In fact, if you remember Christmas Eve last year, we looked at the few first verses of the Gospel of John. And see, this is why John will open with his Gospel letter in chapter 1, verse 1, affirming what Isaiah has said when he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God, not like God, not just with God, not similar to God, but God in the flesh. This is mighty God. And so look at what Isaiah continues to say in the third name, that he shall be called everlasting father. See, this indicates that Jesus will care for his people forever as a father cares for his children. In fact, it speaks to his kingship because his reign will know no end. He will reign forever. In fact, one of the things another reformer noted in this name was that father is used also to mean author. 
And here we see this, that he is an everlasting father, an everlasting author, because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He adopts us into the eternal family of God. And so note that he is everlasting father. When we call him father, it is not to translate earthly characteristics or attributes of our own father, but God is an everlasting father and Jesus is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We see this beautiful truth that he is forever the father of his children. That everlasting father points us to this truth that his reign will know no end. He will reign forever. And then finally, as we see in where he is called Prince of Peace, he is the one who is going to bring peace for his people. And so really, what's the answer to the crisis that the people face? What is the answer to all of our life's concerns and need? See, I would contend with you that the answer is the child who is the Prince of Peace. In fact, Jesus later tells his own disciples in the Gospel of John, in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So consider tonight, dear friends, what we have in the work and in the names of Jesus Christ our Lord. That he alone is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace, who has come and will come again. So have you trusted in him as your Savior? See, remember that as we look in Isaiah 9, we see the child. And what is to come with the child? But remember that this child will go to the cross. He will bear the weight of our burdens and our sins. He will be hung on this cross as the greatest sinner and rebel of God and all for us. And so in this, there is a promise that is given and a work that is completed upon that cross. And for those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they are saved and they can say tonight, thank you, God, that this child is born to us and this son is given to us. See, if you do not understand these things for us, that this child is born, this son is given, you cannot say and understand what will later come through this child. And so tonight as we close our time by lighting candles and singing together, I would ask you as that candle is lit, does the light before you only show in the wax and in the wick? 
Or is this light one that reflects the light that has overwhelmed and overcome the darkness in your heart? Because as we read, they have walked, these people have walked in darkness but now have seen a great light. Can you say, as the prophet has said, I have walked in darkness, but now through Christ, through this child, I have seen a great light. And so friends, tonight as we spend these next few moments singing together and lighting this candle, may it be a reflection of the light that has overwhelmed and overcome the darkness in our hearts and filled it with great light. Let's pray.